and the glory forever. Amen. Like many of you, Christmas is my favorite holiday. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. But in our culture today, there's generally um, a misunderstanding of what Christmas is all about. So for example, if you were to go to the Fair Oaks Mall and interview some random people on what they thought the meaning of Christmas was all about, you might hear things like this. Christmas is about family reunions and spending time with the people that you love. Or Christmas is about being festive, eating great food, and, and, um, and, and going to parties, and then decorating the Christmas tree. Or Christmas might be about uh, buying gifts for the people who are important to you, letting them know that you love them. Or maybe Christmas is a time to, to watch a lot of college football or to watch NBA games. Or maybe Christmas is a time for you to be grateful for what you have and, and to share with those who are less fortunate than yourself. Now, all those things are good and fun and fine, but that's not what Christmas is all about, at least according to the Bible. And even in the church, there's some confusion and uncertainty as to what Christmas is all about. Now, for those of you who have grown up in the church or maybe you've attended church for a few years, uh, you're pretty familiar with the Christmas story, how God came into the world, uh, was born as a baby boy named Jesus. But that's where we tend to start and to stop when it comes to Christmas. But the Christmas story can't really be understood by just looking at the birth of Jesus. It has to be looked at and understood in the context of a much bigger and greater story. And that bigger and greater story is what I'm going to call the true story of the world. So whether you've been a Christian for many, many years and you're very familiar with the story, or maybe you're here for the first time, maybe this is the first time you're, you've stepped into a church, first time you've come to church on a Christmas Sunday, and the story that you're about to hear might be, might, might, might be new to you. But today, whether you've heard it for the, the, or you're hearing it for the first time or for the hundredth time, church, let's, let's listen again to the true story of the world so that we might better understand what the meaning of Christmas is all about. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 15 to 17. And in our text today, the Apostle Paul tells us the great purpose and goal of Christmas. People of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So this past week, the new Spider-Man movie premiered. I haven't seen it yet, but it seems like uh, there's some great reviews out there already. In fact, my son Caleb, uh, in his opinion, this is the best Marvel movie there, there, that's ever been made. And in his opinion, this, is, this might be the best movie he's ever seen. 
So I'm pretty excited to see the new Spider-Man movie. And on the day that I watch it, hopefully this week, I plan to get there early, get settled in into that nice uh, uh, cozy recliner seating that they have at the multiplex, have my candy and my snacks ready, watch all the previews, and then, of course, watch the movie from start to finish and maybe even after the credits even for the bonus footage, right? I would never walk into that movie an hour late, watch for about 25 minutes, and then leave before the movie's over. I would never do that in a movie. And even the part of the movie that I did get to watch, the 25 minutes or so, I wouldn't really understand what's going on because I didn't watch what came before or what came after. We would never do that with movies. And yet, we do this all the time with the story of Christmas. You see, when we, when we jump straight to that part of the story when Jesus is born, and we only focus on his birth, it's like watching 15 minutes of a movie that you've walked into an hour late. As strange as this may sound, you can't understand Christmas if you only look at the birth of Jesus. You see, the Bible tells one big story. And this story begins in Genesis, and it ends in Revelation. And it is one big story that's actually made up of lots of smaller stories that are connected to one another and that build upon one another. And the Christmas story, yes, it's a very important story, but it's just one small story that's a part of a collection of stories that tells one big epic story. And the story that the Bible tells is the true story of the world. Did you know that the world has a story? You have a story, I have a story, and the world has a story. And the story of the world tells us how the world came to be, why the world is the way that it is today, and where the world is heading one day. And the Christmas story is a part of that bigger, larger, epic story the story of the world. So the true story of the world has four main parts. First, part one is the creation of the world. Part two is the ruin of the world. Part three is the redemption of the world. And part four is the restoration of the world. So let's start with part one. The story of the world begins with the creation of the world. And this part of the story tells us how the world that we live in came to be and why and how things were supposed to be in the world originally. Now, the story of the world begins with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the story begins with God. God exists. And God created all things. God created the sun, moon, and stars. And God created our world, this world, this planet that we live in. And God also created every living creature in the world. All the birds of the sky, all the fish of the seas, and all the animals on land. And then, last of all, God created a man and a woman. And their names were Adam and Eve. And God created them in his own image. And he put them in a garden paradise in a place called Eden. And when God had created everything, when he was done creating, do you know what God said? God said that everything was very good. So the story of mankind began in a garden paradise where God and man dwelt together, where everything was good, 
where everything was supposed to, where everything was the way it was supposed to be. And the creation of mankind in the image of God explains our deepest longings and yearnings as human beings. Our creation in the image of God explains our deep longing for eternity and immortality. We all want to live forever. None of us want to die. Do you know why? It's because we're created in the image of an eternal God who lives forever. And that was God's original design for mankind, for us to live forever and to never taste death. And that's why we want to be immortal. That's why we want to live forever. And that's why nothing terrifies us more than the thought of death. Because death is utterly unnatural. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. And our creation in the image of God also explains our deep longing for beauty in worship. You see, we all long to behold beauty. We all want to see, enjoy, and praise beauty when we see it and when we hear it. Do you know why? It's because we're created to worship God, the ultimate source of all true beauty. You see, all the beautiful people in the world, all the beautiful things in the world, all the beautiful places in the world, they are but dim reflections and that point us to the beauty of God. You see, every single one of us is in search for beauty. Our whole lives are searching for beauty. That really is actually a search for the God of beauty. Our creation in the image of God also explains our deep longing for love and community. We desperately want to connect, to love, to be loved, and to be in meaningful relationships with other people. Do you know why? It's because we're created in the image of a triune God, a God who himself exists in community. You see, God is three persons, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they exist in community, and they together are one God. And because we're created in God's image, the desire to be social and to live in loving community with others is part of our human design. That's why we all long to get married. That's why we all long to be a part of a loving family. That's why we all long to belong to a circle of close and best friends. That's why we long to belong to a community where we're known and loved. And it's also why one of the most painful things in life is broken relationships. When you're alienated or estranged from people that you love, especially family members, it can be so very painful because we were meant for family. We were meant for community. Our creation in the image of God also explains our deep longing for meaningful work. We all want to do work that matters, work that makes a difference, work that makes the world a better place. Do you know why? It's because we're created in the image of a God who works. It's because just as God worked to create and cultivate something good and beautiful, because we want to image God, we have this desire to work and to create and to cultivate something good and beautiful as well. Now, we may need the money that we get from doing work in order to survive, but we need the satisfaction of doing good work in order to feel alive. 
and our creation and the image of God also explains our deep longing for glory and significance. We can't stand to be insignificant. We can't stand to be overlooked and unseen. We're desperate to matter. Every one of us wants to matter. We want to be respected. We want to be remembered. In short, all of us have a hunger for glory and for significance. Every one of us. Do you know why? It's because we're created in the image of a God who is glorious and significant. And because God is glorious and significant, and because we're created in the image of God, we can't help but to want to be glorious and significant just as God is. Did you know that the hunger for glory and significance is not a bad thing? The hunger for glory and significance is not the result of the fall. It's the result of being created in the image of a God who is glorious and significant. And so your desire for glory and for significance is a good desire. It's a God-given desire. And our creation and the image of God also explains our deep longing for justice and peace. We long for people to treat one another with respect, with kindness, and with equality. And for people to live at peace with one another. Do you know why? It's because God loves justice and peace. And because we're created in his image, we too love justice and peace. You see, deep down, we all know that every human life is sacred and precious, and we long for every human being to be treated with dignity and care the way we want our lives to be treated with dignity and care. And so we all long for a place and for a time when there will be no more injustice, no more oppression, no more abuse, no more abortions, no more racism, and no more violence. We all long for a place and a time where things are, where things will be the way they were supposed to be, but more where people as image bearers of God will be treated as they deserve to be treated, as sacred and precious. You know, in each and every one of our souls, there is a distant and a vague memory of the garden paradise that we were created for. It's a place that we've never been to. It's a place that we long for. And every one of us wants to get back there, whether we know how to articulate it or not. There is a place that we remember that we've never been to. All of us know this vague and yet deep yearning for home, where things are the way they're supposed to be. So the true story of the world begins with the creation of the world, and it explains why we have all the yearnings and the longings that we do deep down inside. Now, the next part of the story is the sad part of the story, and it's the ruin of the world. You see, this is the part of the story where we're told how everything went wrong, why the world is the way that it is, why the world is the ruined mess that it is, and even more, why we are the ruined messes that we are. Satan, the evil one, entered into the garden paradise in the form of a serpent. And he came in in order to tempt Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And Satan did that by telling lies about God. 
He told them that God forbade them from eating from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil because God doesn't really love them. Because God was wanting to withhold things from them. Because God did not have their best interests at heart. Satan was saying, God cannot be trusted. He doesn't really love you. And so you have to take it upon yourself to get the best life for yourself. Because you can't trust God to give it to you. And so, and tragically, Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie. And they rebelled against God. And they ate from the one tree that God had forbidden them to eat from for their own good. They chose to believe Satan's word over God's word. And this is what we call the rebellion or the fall of man. This was the moment when sin, misery, death, sadness, and suffering, that's when all of that came into the world. It was the day, it was the moment when the world that was created good was utterly ruined. And this now explains why our world is the way that it is today. This is why there are things like theft, Oppression, injustice, racism, human trafficking, abortion, violence, terrorism, and war, and things like that. This is why there are disasters like tornadoes and typhoons that wreak so much destruction and havoc, even taking human life. This is why there are diseases like cancer and pandemics like COVID that cause so much suffering, pain, and even death. This is why there is so much in the world that breaks our hearts with sadness or makes our blood boil with anger. This also explains why we are the way that we are. You see, sin didn't just ruin the world. It also ruined us. It ruined you and it ruined me. You know, we were created to love God and to love our neighbors. But sin ruined us and now... All we want to do is to love ourselves. We care less about God. We care less about others. We only want to love ourselves or our own. And this is why we're so selfish, so self-centered. This is why we have an inner bent towards sin and evil as long as it benefits us or gives us pleasure. And this is why we can so easily pervert and turn good things into idols, into God-like things, things that we must have in order for life to feel like it's worth living. And the effects of sin, this is why we get old, why our bodies break down, why we get sick, and why we will all eventually die one day. And this is why we experience broken relationships with family and friends, and why it's so hard to reconcile. This is why we so often do the very things we hate, the very things we know we shouldn't do, the very things we know that we regret the moment that we do, And yet we do it anyway, and we ask ourselves, why did I do that? Why do I keep doing that? What's wrong with me? Well, what's wrong with you is that sin ruined you. It ruined all of us. That's what sin did. And this is also why life in this ruined world so often feels futile, meaningless, and nothing truly satisfies us. Have you ever thought, Man, if I were just like with my best friends, in my favorite place, eating my favorite food, doing my favorite activity, man, that's one that like life will be good. And you may get once in a while a trip like that. But even those trips, they don't really quite deliver, do they? Not only does it come to an end, but there's an emptiness 
after it's all over, there's still an emptiness in your soul that nothing or no one or no experience could ever fill. It's because we're looking to creative things to give us things that it cannot give. You see, our souls are wanting things that creative things cannot give. Only God can give those things. And yet we look to creative things. We look to people. We look to things. We look to experiences. And we're always disappointed time and time and time again because nothing in this world satisfies us the way we long to be satisfied. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they come to rest in you, O God. So the true story of the world begins with creation of a good world, but then that good world gets ruined by sin. But thank God the story doesn't end there. We move on to the third part of the story, the redemption of the world. God, being holy and righteous, could have judged and destroyed Adam and Eve on the spot for their rebellious sin. God could have done that. In fact, that's what Adam and Eve deserved. So the story of the world could have ended just as it was beginning. But God is also merciful, gracious, and loving. And God, in his grace, promised to redeem what was ruined. And he promised to do that by sending a redeemer. A redeemer who would undo and reverse the ruin and make things right again. That he would restore the world to what it was supposed to be. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, God gave many hints and shadows of what this promised Redeemer, this promised Messiah, this promised Savior of the world would be and do. And for thousands of years, Israel and the rest of the world waited for God to keep his promise, to send a Redeemer who would redeem and restore this world that had been ruined by sin. And now, finally, we're ready for the Christmas story. You see, the Christmas story is the story of God faithfully keeping his promise to send a redeemer who would redeem and restore the world. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to be that redeemer and the savior of the world. According to 1 Timothy chapter 1, God's son, Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? To save sinners. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came into the world. That's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. You see, the Christmas story is the story of Jesus coming into our world to redeem us from our sins and to restore us to what we were supposed to be, but not only us, but also to redeem the whole world and to restore the whole world to what it was supposed to be as well. But we cannot stop here either with just the birth of Jesus. To stop here is like uh, walking out of a movie before it's over. To stop here is actually to, to walk out of the movie before you get to the, 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 the climactic and the most critical scene. We have to stay to the end of the movie. We have to get to the part of Jesus' death because Jesus' birth makes no sense apart from his death. You see, friends, Jesus was born to die. Jesus came to the cradle so that he could go to the cross. Jesus was born as a man so that he could die as a substitute for sinful man and sinful woman. 
On the cross, Jesus offered his life as an atoning sacrifice for all of our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that the ruin could begin to be reversed and undone. Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day for Good Friday, for the day when he would die bearing the sins of the world in his own body in order to redeem and restore a world that had been ruined. And then, three days later, Jesus came back to life. He was resurrected from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus uh, proved that all of our sins have indeed been paid in full. And we celebrate the story of Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. Do you realize that the three most important Christian holidays tell the three stories, the three most important stories of Jesus' life? Christmas tells the story of Jesus' birth. Good Friday tells the story of Jesus' death on a cross for us. And Easter Sunday tells the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And these three stories from Jesus' life, they together tell the story of how Jesus came to redeem and restore the world at the cost of his own life. So the true story of the world begins with the creation of the world, and then it moves to the ruin of the world, and then it moves to the redemption of the world. But even still, the story is not over yet. There is a fourth and final part to the story, the, re- the, the restoration of the world. Now this last and final part tells us how the true story of the world will end. We are still in the middle of the story of the world. It is not over yet. The end has not yet come. After his resurrection from from the dead, the Lord Jesus ascended up into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God. Do you know where Jesus is right now? He is in heaven. He's risen. He's alive. And he's ruling and reigning over the world as we sit here right now. Jesus is alive and he's in heaven reigning, ruling as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But one day, this risen and reigning Lord Jesus, he will come again. And this time he will not come as a helpless little baby, but this time he will come in glory and splendor and power as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will completely transform and renew this ruined world into the new heavens and the new earth. And he will restore everything so that everything will be as it's supposed to be. He will make everything new and everything right. And he will wipe away every tear because everything sad will come untrue. On that day, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more injustice, no more racism, no more loneliness, no more broken relationships, and no more crying and no more death forever. The good and perfect world that we all long for is coming. One day we will see Jesus when he returns. One day we will see Jesus as he is and we will be made like him and all the ruin in us will be fully renewed and we will be made like him. And one day we will live with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. So the true story of the world will end with the world becoming what it was created to be. 
a new and beautiful world where God and his redeemed people dwell and live together and where there will be fullness of joy and love forever. Not fleeting, but forever. But until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we as the church of Christ, we have our part to play in this ongoing story of the world. First, we are to love God because he first loved us and gave his son for us. And we're to find all of our joy, all of our happiness, all of our uh, satisfaction, all of our meaning in God. Because only God can fill the, the, the eternal vacuum in our hearts. And it is only when we love God first and foremost that we can actually enjoy the good things of this world without worshiping them. It is when we find our satisfaction in God that we can actually begin to taste satisfaction in this world. And second, we are to love people. We're to love people with our words and with our deeds. And we love people with our words as we tell them this, the true story of the world. Do you realize, friends, there are so many people right here in greater Metro D.C. that have never heard the story that you just heard from me today. They've never heard the true story of the world. And who will tell them? Jesus has commissioned us, calls us to tell the true story of the world to as many people as we can. And we love them by telling them the true story of the world. And we also are to love people with our deeds, motivated by the love of Christ. You see, friends, when we do deeds of mercy, justice, and love, we're showing the world, we're giving the world glimpses and previews of a new and better world that is to come when Jesus returns. Do you know why we feed the hungry? We feed the hungry because that is our way of giving the world glimpses and previews of a new and better world where there is no more hunger. Do you know why we heal the sick? We heal the sick because we want to give the world glimpses and previews of a new and better world where there is no more sickness. Do you know why we work for justice? Because we want to give the world glimpses and previews of a new and better world where there is no more injustice or oppression. Do you know why we forgive and reconcile with one another? Because we want to show the world glimpses and previews of a new and better world where there is no more relational brokenness or bitterness, but only love and harmony. Friends, Christ's central family, until the day the Lord Jesus returns, our task, our mission is to tell the true story of the world to as many people as we can and to give the world beautiful previews and glimpses of where the world is headed through our deeds of mercy, justice, and love. So that's the true story of the world. You've heard it. Maybe you've heard the story a hundred times before. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time today. So what do I want you to do? In light of hearing this story, I want you to do three things, three simple things. Here's the first. Believe the true story of the world. It is not fiction. It is not fairy tale. It is the truest story that's ever been told. And the story of the world will help you to make sense of the world that you live in. It will help you to make sense of, of yourself. And it will help you to make sense of your place in this world. And it will help you to make sense of your purpose in this world. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? It's got to be more than just getting good grades or getting a good job or, or, or getting married or getting that house or, or just achieving things. Life has to be more than that. And it is. 
the true story of the world helps you to understand the true purpose of your life. Second, I want you to trust Jesus as your Savior and Redeemer. If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, maybe you've been uh, coming out to church for, for weeks, months, maybe even years, and you've, you hear me preaching about Jesus all the time, you, you've heard of him, you know about him, but you've not yet put your personal faith in him today. Delay no longer. Today, would you believe what you know? Would you put your faith in Christ? Decide today that he will be your redeemer and your restorer. Come to him today by faith and he will receive you. And then third, if you have not yet joined a church, then I want you to join our church. I welcome you to our church family. Come, let's worship together. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's love and encourage one another along the way until the day the Lord Jesus calls us home. You see, friends, the, the journey of faith is not one that we can make by ourselves. We need a community. We need a group of Jesus followers to follow Jesus with. We just can't do it on our own. So if you have not yet found a church home, I invite you to join our church family. So Christ Central family, this Christmas, let's believe again for the hundredth time this story or maybe for the first time today. Let's believe the truest story that's ever been told and let's love and worship Jesus together, the one who came to be our redeemer and the one who will come again to restore all things. Amen. I mean, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, um, we worship you today. You came into our world to save us from our sins and to redeem and restore this world and us to what we were supposed to be. And today you give us a glimpse of what will be, of what we will be one day by your grace and power. We love you. We worship you, our Redeemer and our Restorer. Amen.